0: When Moses led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, he learned the power and the love of God. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we learn lessons from the Exodus and God's great rescue. This is episode nine of our study, Exodus, God's great rescue. And we left off yesterday, I had a very lengthy description about the name of God. Yahweh and how that ties into I am, I am not going to continue on that. But what I am going to do is spend a little bit of time. uh, What happens after that? So God comes to Moses and says, go, you rescue my people. And Moses says, well, who should I say sent me? And God says, I'm the God of their fathers, the father of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and, and Moses says, well, what's your name? And he says, tell them that I am has sent you. That's kind of where we left off. And we're going to pick up again then in Exodus chapter 3, beginning at verse 15, where we read this. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. So this name, I am, is the name that you should call me from generation to generation. Now, just another brief little aside here. A lot of people think that the Old Testament is complicated, that there's a lot of stuff there that they don't know. And th- there uh, there's a lot of truth to that. There's a lot of stuff in Genesis that, that's covered. It's from the fall of man all the way to joseph getting into egypt but really it's not that big of a story you've got you've got creation and the fall and then you've got noah and the flood and then you have abraham, isaac and jacob and then jacob's son is joseph which takes him into into egypt now there's there's stories wrapped around that. I mean, these are great stories about the call of Abraham and Isaac and how he was born and Jacob and his 12 sons and all that sort of thing. Jacob wrestling with God. There's a lot of stuff in there and highly recommend if you haven't seen the Genesis study we did at the beginning of the pandemic or listen to the Genesis study. You should go back and listen to the Genesis study. There's really, really some incredible information there. But it's it, none of this is all that complicated. It's it's a... it's You, If you know the story of the creation and the fall, if you know the story of the Tower of Babel, if you know the story of the flood, if you know the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then Jacob into Egypt, you've pretty much got the whole entire book of Genesis. It's not, and it's it's a pretty, you could probably read it in one night pretty easily. It's what, 40 or 50 chapters, I think it was. Uh, of Genesis. So it's not like it's a huge, huge, long book of the Bible and it it covers a lot of stuff. But it is a uh, if you uh, if you are one who's worried about not understanding the Old Testament, it's really not that complicated. It's these maybe three characters, four if you include Joseph, uh, five if you include Noah, six if you include Adam and Eve, that it's uh, you have a lot. There's a little story about Lot in there, so that's maybe another story. But other than that, it's not, it's not like this is all that complicated. And then, of course, you have the Exodus, which is the whole entire book of the book of Exodus. is God calling Moses out of Egypt. And then you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those five books are the first five books of the Bible are called the Pentateuch. And that takes you out of Exodus and, and follows the people of Israel until they get settled near the Promised Land. Uh, and then, of course, they have to go conquer the promised land. And so that's another story. But, but Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy is all just the story of, the, of these seven characters. Then Moses, uh, his brother, Aaron, getting out to the edge of the promised land. And then you have Joshua who conquers the promised land and then you have the stories of the kings and the judges and all that sort of thing. There's there's a lot that happens after that, but the first 5 books of the Bible written by my, Moses is is really not that complicated. It's a it's it's a pretty easy read. And if you are one that that wonders if you have it all, just understand that the three main characters of the book of Genesis are well, after after Adam and Eve, <laughs> And after Noah, which we all know Adam and Eve, we all know Noah. The next three main characters to know are Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, maybe Joseph. That's it. I mean, there's, it's not all that complicated. Uh, so, so now God says to, to Moses, he says, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he has sent me to you. So we know exactly who this God is. It's the God basically of, of Genesis. Genesis. And this is the one that is going to rescue the Israelites out of Egypt. This is my name forever. This is the name you should call me from generation to generation. So we should call God I Am. Well, that's that's uh, it's kind of a it's kind of an interesting name. I Am that I Am. Uh, if uh, <laughs> it, it'd be like if someone came to you and said, "What's your name?" and you said, "I exist." <laughs> But, but God's more than that. He's like, I have existed from the beginning of time. I am who I am. And that's about as much as you're going to get from me. Because God, if you think about it, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That means that God predated the heavens and the earth. So there's something outside of our known creation, maybe even outside of our known universe, is God. And he is more powerful and more wonderful and incredible that he can create the heavens and the earth. And will someday we know that the heavens and the earth will either dissolve into nothingness or it will collapse itself into a big black hole and explode. We're not exactly sure which one of those it is. but But nothing will survive either one of those except God outside of the created universe. So if you are tied to and attached to God, then that's where eternity exists for humanity because we are attached to God who's outside of the created universe. If God was inside the created universe, then as soon as the universe dissolves or or collapses in on itself, there is no more universe. There's nothing that will survive that, that, except anything outside of the universe, which is God. So this is my, you shall call me from generation to generation, which is the Old Testament way of saying forever. This, you can call me, I am forever because I am forever. And I'm the one that created this universe. I'm the one that created you. So then Moses continues on verse 16, go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what you have what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And this is a poetic way of saying that this is a land that is fruitful. This is a land that will provide for all your needs, and it will be a wonderful land. We've seen pictures of this Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai where where Moses is and it's pretty dry and barren land there's not really anything in there but when God brings them into the promised land this will be a rich fertile land that's just beautiful now it's it's the it's the land of the Canaanites the Hittites the Amorites the Perizzites the Hivites and the Jebusites so there is going to be people in this land and somehow They don't know yet, but somehow they're going to have to figure out how do we take this land away? If it's our land that God promised it to us, how do we get the land from the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites? And doesn't reveal that yet, but we know that they have to conquer the land so that God can give them the land. Um, Let's see. So now he's supposed to go to the elders. So He doesn't go to Pharaoh first. We think that Moses just goes immediately from this point to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. But he doesn't. God says, go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them. So God has to, or Moses has to go back to the elders of Israel. Remember, Moses is an outsider of Israel. Somehow he has to ingratiate himself or convince the Israelites that he truly is from God and he's going to rescue them from Israel. And they're going to have doubts about this. They're going to have doubts when he comes and talks to him the first time. They're going to have doubts when when there's these plagues and Pharaoh says, no, no, no. They're going to doubt Moses's leadership capability. They're finally going to go out of the promised land or they're going to cross out of Egypt. The Pharaoh's armies are going to come after him. They're going to doubt Moses at that point. They're going to wander for 40 years and they're really, really going to doubt Moses and Moses is the quintessential leader. He's been called by God to do this. He, ha- he cannot say no, but it's not going to be easy for Moses. It's going to be a hardship the whole entire point of his life. Now, the, the great news is, is that God actually does use Moses to bring the, people out of the prom- or bring the people out of slavery in Egypt and into the Promised Land. But there's a toll, and the toll is going to be on Moses. Because this is not going to be an easy journey for him. And he's going to have a lot of people that are going to be angry and upset with him at many times throughout this journey. But that's what leadership is. Leadership is doing what you believe is right, what God has called you to do. Uh, Maybe God even hasn't called you, but God's put you in such a place, in such a time, in such a position to lead. And you know that eventually... What you're leading is going to lead to good things and make the world a better place and make the world closer to um, to just going to make the world a better place. And and. That takes leadership, and sometimes that leadership is hard. If right now, political leadership, I couldn't imagine being the president of the United States or a governor of a state or. Um, What are some of these other organizations like the director of the CDC, National Institute of Health, Prime Minister, Queen, all these different things. It is very, very difficult to weed through all the data to to have people list that you're listening to and then finally say this is the direction we're going to go. And then some people will be on board with that and they'll say, yep, you, you're you going a great direction. Other people are going to say, no, that's a horrible direction. I can't believe you're going in that direction. And they're going to fight you. And maybe they'll even have a group that rises up in opposition to the direction that you're going. Right now, the one of the big uh, issues right now in the Vale School District is whether or not they're going to wear masks for the, till the end of the year. And there are parents that very much do not want the school district to wear masks. And then there's the leadership, which appears at this point, the board, the the majority of the board and the, the superintendent of school districts wants to continue with masks for the next three and a half weeks till the end of the year. And it's causing a lot of conflict. And this, anytime there's conflict, that tests leadership. And leadership Uh, needs to understand at some level that there will always be conflict. Even Jesus, the greatest leader that ever lived, had conflict. He had the Pharisees against him. He had the Sadducees, the scribes. At times, the people were against him. But he knew what he was doing. He led himself into Jerusalem to do what God had called him to do. That is leadership. Jesus, the greatest leader that ever lived, Moses is certainly up there as one of the greatest leaders that ever lived. And what does it take to be a great leader? One is when God calls you to do something and that you say yes to God's call and you f- go forward to do it. And the other is having a relationship with God, knowing that what you're doing is right and that God will bless what you're doing because you know that it's right and, um, and fighting the opposition that you know is going to rise up in any leadership situation because you know that God's called you to go in this direction. And truly, that is what Moses does, and that's why he's considered a great leader. And we're going to, as as we get into this, we're going to continue to look at leadership from Moses. And leadership principles from here are is that God clearly tells out to him what he wants you to do. How do you get your authority that I'm going to, because I when, he, when Moses goes to the Israelites, he says, listen, God has called me. I am has called me. That's his name. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He has seen the oppression that the Egyptians have over you in slavery, and he is going to rescue you, and he's going to take you to a land flowing with milk and honey. Instead of being slaves here, we're going to go there, and it's going to be awesome. And now the big question is, is does it, is it an awesome place well eventually when they finally conquer and settle in there is a period of peace and prosperity they they have some great kings they have some horrible kings but it's never it's never completely awesome there there are moments in time where it's awesome for sure and they know that God rescued them out of the land and they they praise God for that every year they celebrate that God rescues them but life is never easy because it is filled with people who are sinful people. And whenever the world is filled with sinful people, then life is never a hundred percent easy. Even today, with all of our technology, with all the great stuff that we have, we have abundant food, which for the vast majority of the thousands of years of human history, That has never happened where you've had an abundance of food. We have an incredible abundance of food. We have incredible abundance of shelter and water. All the basics that for thousands of years, people couldn't even match. Now we have in abundance for everybody. But that doesn't mean that life is easy because there's still people that, um, that do not have an easy life. And there are people that oppress other people. And so life is never easy. We live in a sinful world. So even though God's going to rescue them and take them to a land flowing with milk and honey, the question is, will they avail themselves to the milk and honey? That is the question. But it continues on. Verse 18, the elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord, our God but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. So just a real quick. So the first thing he's supposed to do is go to the elders, and then he and the elders are supposed to go to Pharaoh and have a a confab with him and say, listen, we just want a three-day journey into the wilderness. We want to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. That's all we want to do, and, but the, the Pharaoh will not let you do this. He is afraid that if he lets you go out into the wilderness to have this three-day respite from slavery, just to, to have this relationship with God, it's not you're not going to come back, and so he's going to say no, and God knows that he's going to say no, and so I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them, and after that, he will let you go. So God's laying it all out. He says, you're going to go ask Pharaoh? And he's going to say no. And so I'm going to perform signs and wonders. But when I finish with what I am going to do with the ruler of Egypt, he will let you go. And the question you always have to ask yourself in this thing, or the one I always ask is, what, what? You know, if did Pharaoh not see, like, did it have to get to the firstborn son? Did it have to get that far? Could Pharaoh have, released the israelites earlier and and not experienced as much pain in egypt and the answer is probably not but there's always a there's always a pain point that like what would it have been if if it wasn't if the firstborn son we haven't gotten to that part of the story but the the final plague is going to be that god's going to kill the firstborn son if that wasn't enough what would god have accelerated after that and eventually, I guess he could have just wiped out the whole entire Egyptians and let and then they could have walked away freely uh, and not been pursued. They could have stayed there in the land of Egypt, but that wasn't their land. God had given them a different land. Verse 21. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people, so that when you leave you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters, and so you will plunder the Egyptians. So this is interesting. God says, when you go, they're going to give you all the stuff. Now, later on, we see in the Torah that if there is, if you have someone in your house that's a servant or a slave, it's a doulos in Greek. If you have a servant and then they, they end up finishing their term with you and they're going to leave you, you're supposed to give them goods for the journey. That is, um, that is what, what you're called to do. And the, and then, you know, the, the other thing t- that's interesting is that slavery has been around since since the Exodus, since the Egyptians enslaved the Israelites. Slavery has existed in every culture at every time. Even today, we have, in the United States, there are people who are very, very powerful that capture young women and sell them into slavery. So the, slavery exists. Um, the bad slavery really, really exists. Is there good slavery? I There were periods of time in history where people would sell themselves into slavery. They would say, listen, I cannot control my life. And I need to be, just tell me what, You want me to do and I will be a slave to you and I will do what you tell me to do and and you can control my life. And there have been periods of time where that's happened. And I don't think that is because we have free will and because we uh, get the joy of marrying and have children and having our own family and our own household and all those sort of things. The last thing you want is someone to have slavery over you. You want to have the freedom to be able to live your life the way that you want to live. There are some people who don't want that freedom. Today in our, in our society, there might be homeless people. And we always assume that homeless people are there because they're mentally ill. But there, I believe there are some homeless people that are just, they don't want, they don't want the structure of society around them. They don't want society to tell them what to do. They want that kind of freedom. They wanna be homeless. And so they live a life of homelessness to get away from the controls that society would have on them. One of the strongest desires that we have as humans is to be free. And one of the greatest joys in life is to be free and have that freedom to live the life that we want to live. That doesn't always live correctly. And there are some structures of government existing throughout time where there are very, very powerful people that take away the rights for you to live your life the way you can live it and they will tell you how you can live your life. And the unfortunate thing that I see in the United States today, which while we talk about freedom, we are enslaved at some level to different things. Uh, We still have all the freedom we want, but if you wanna live in the United States today and live in society, you have to have a home, right? Or, Or you have to have an apartment you have to have a place to live. You can't be homeless on the street. That's still, I think, looked down upon in society. You have to have a job to where you can earn enough money to have the apartment and the home and all that sort of thing. Um, you, you are, at some level, if you want to interact with other people in society, then you have to have a car, you have to have a phone, all the things that you have to have food, all these different things that a complex society that you have to grab for yourself There are very, very few people here in the United States today that live completely off the grid without any part of society telling them how they need to live their life, although there are some. And I will tell you, if you talk to any guy, just in general, if you talk to any guy, what's your greatest dream? That guy would say the greatest dream would be to have 20 acres out in the middle of nowhere, where I could be married and have my children and be complete master of my domain, and that excites and pleases most men. Right? Women, on the other hand, do not like that because if they're out twenty acres out in the middle of nowhere, they're isolated. They are the ones that have to, you know, how are we going to feed, you know, and clothe and and pursue and grow our children? So we need to be close enough to society where we can get all that stuff. And so there's always this yearning at least in my marriage right there have been times i've said let's just get 20 acres out in the middle of nowhere she's like yeah but where how are we going to grow how are we going to do the things it's going to be a hard life and i you may seem exciting looking at it but it's really going to be a hard life and so um of course we so we don't right that's that's how it goes but um that is a dream is to be able to get away from slavery But some people sell themselves into slavery and some people even today in the United States are in slavery. They're enslaved to to the attitudes and the the paradigms of our society around us. We're enslaved to banks to to purchase homes. We're enslaved to to banks to purchase cars. We, We willingly watch all the junk that's on TV and then they try to sell stuff to us and we're enslaved to that. Some people are enslaved to um, to addictions. Some people are enslaved to debt. Um, they don't live a slave- free life. this the the world around us, even the United States, the whole consumer capitalism of the United States in some ways encouraged us to enslave ourselves to debtors, to banks so that we can, you know, have all the things that we want, and uh, but 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 blessed is the man or the woman or the family that d- is not into debt into anybody and has their own property and their own house and you know they they could survive without the world around them. I mean, am not saying completely get off the grid, but be debt free. I mean, that being in debt is in slavery, right? At some level, being in debt is in slavery. And we, we willingly go into debt in the United States all the time. Uh, but blessed is the man who is not a slave to anyone. And this is what the Israelites are going to do. They're going to not be enslaved at all. God is going to rescue them. All right, so I think we're going to end it there. Oh, man, I went long. Uh, let's let's close in prayer. Dear God, thank you for um, for being with us today and help us to... To live lives where the only one we're enslaved to is, to, is you, and you are the greatest, uh, because when we're in your kingdom, we're not really in slavery. We are living with you as sons and daughters of the King, free people, and for this we thank you. Uh, be with us until we meet again, in Jesus' name, amen.